Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you that we're all here together. I thank you that we can come under your word together. We can be ministered by your spirit together. We can learn and grow together. And uh, I thank you that you have made your church to function this way, Lord, you as the head. And we just ask for your guidance, for your strength, for your openness. And uh, we all want to hear from you today. So, Lord, would that be so? Amen. Well, if we could get that first slide up, please. I tend to, for one reason or another, like to find some of the more difficult or awkward subjects that people... (laughs) I just do. That's my calling, okay? Don't look down on my calling, but... I'm going to take a break from that today from talking about pain and suffering and things of that nature. And, uh, and I'm going to talk about intimacy instead, which people are a lot more comfortable in hearing. Right? We're all comfortable with the word intimacy. Yes? You guys are like, where are you going with this? You can't talk about intimacy during church. And the truth is, in a roundabout way, we're talking about intimacy at church all the time. Every act, I don't want to get too much ahead of myself here, but every act that God does in our life and in the history of mankind was to regain the level of intimacy that he had always desired when he, when he designed and planned us. God is an intimate God. He desires intimacy with his people. But as a culture, we're not super comfortable with intimacy. Just think in your own minds. Did you ever meet with somebody who, who, who gives a little too much eye contact? How are we with eye contact? <laughs> how are we, how are we with eye contact? Do we like eye contact? Does it make us comfortable? Do I need to walk around and see? We can do, it's a small group. I can get through everybody, right? Do we like intimacy? When somebody looks deep into your eyes, do you feel the exposure? Do you feel like you can't go there? Those doors are closed. I don't even know what's back there myself, but I know I don't want you looking at it. How do we respond when people look us dead in the eyes? How are we in making eye contact with somebody else? I I lived a lot of years looking down. I would walk with my eyes down, I would talk with my eyes down, because I didn't, I didn't want anybody seeing what was going on inside here. Nothing. But God doesn't want us to look down. He doesn't want us to look to the side. He doesn't want our eyes darting back and forth. He wants all of our attention, because we've got all of His. He's desiring intimacy from us. And that intimacy as a culture is very much lost. People are going through life clawing at every bit of fake intimacy they can find because they don't know where to turn for the hole that is in their hearts. They have 
no idea. And so, so any promise of intimacy will do. That's good enough for me, at least for a little while. Because we'll just take what we can get. There are also people that know that true intimacy is probably found in the Lord. But they're not sure they would like what it takes to get there. And that's having the Lord look back at us. Staring back into our hearts as we look to Him. But we are made for eye-to-eye contact. Physically and spiritually. God wants our full attention with no fear, with no condemnation, with no worry about what he's going to say, with no half-truths. He wants all of our spiritual and holistic attention. He wants all of us. We've been made for all of that. As far as we feel from being intimate with God right this moment, you know how you all feel. And I'm not assuming anything. But we from time to time will all feel totally distant from the Lord. As far as we feel in those moments, that's never God's plan. It's never His desire. And He is constantly calling and waiting for us to come back to Him in those things. He wants us to know Him in the deepest possible way. We've been made for that. So join me in looking at the story of Genesis. And, uh, and we want to look at a few different aspects of it. We want to look at God's original design in the garden. We want to look at how it went very, very wrong. And, uh, and then his desire to reclaim that garden experience with his people. So Genesis 3.8 says this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to? The man said, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Blame shifting was one of the original uh, postures in the garden as well. But So in this story, we're seeing already the first consequences of sin when they ate of the apple. Which is that fear, that doubt, that worry that something is wrong with me. But this wasn't the original intent. In Genesis 1.26, God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Image and likeness. To be made in God's image is to reflect Something significant about the Creator. It's more than just, you see paintings around the church here, it's more than just the signature at the bottom. God is more than just signing us as His image. He is reflecting something true and constant about Himself 
in the way we think, in the way we feel, in the way we, our will is. God is reflecting something in real time about who He is. In our likeness, He says, in our will and in our likeness, it's God's desire for that deep spiritual intimacy where we are at one with Him. This was God's plan. How was man made? Man was made when the breath of God was blown into his nostrils. How close, how close does the breath of God need to get to you to breathe life through your nostrils? It wasn't a big straw, I'm sure, that perfectly got in there. This was an intimate act as God originally brought life to us. This was an intimate desire. God's plan was not that He would plunk people down on the earth and see how it went. God's plan was to be one with them, working, enjoying, in full relationship, with no distance. This was God's original plan for mankind. Because intimacy is who he is. It says this in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. So from the beginning of time, God knew who you were. He wanted you. He was pleased with you. And He chose very specifically to show Himself in you as an image bearer to the rest of the world. Think of the value that God puts on each one of those Think of the reality that you are one of those people. It's important to see God's design because we often live not knowing the intimacy that He desired at all. We don't, we hardly live that way. Mostly because the world around us is so bent on avoiding intimacy at all costs. We don't operate that way very often. But that was always God's design. But this intimacy didn't last. We know that from our own lives. A lot of our lives we haven't lived in that same environment. So I want to talk about the pain of intimacy lost. See, there was one tree in the garden, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That God said in 2 verse 17, you cannot eat from one tree. He was so serious about it, he said you would die if you ate from it. The serpent took that and ran with it in chapter 3. With his silly claims about, did God really say, did God really mean? Pointing to... That doesn't sound like a very good God to serve or obey at all. Why don't you go your own way? 
which was one of the roots of the apple in general. Going my own way. Intimacy killer, I would say. And Eve saw the fruit. It was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes, and it would make her wise. You know, a lot of the reasons why we can't break through, break through the fruit in our own lives still is for those same reasons. How often is good for food a delight for the eyes or the opportunity to be or look wise a good motivator to go back to that tree? Part of it is because our DNA has been altered. Our original DNA in the garden was to know oneness with the Lord. When sin came through rebellion, through the tree, our DNA switched. And sin entered into our makeup. And the desire for the tree that had been foreign to us and all it represented was now part of our code. Now, I don't want to talk too much about DNA because I'm already tripping myself out, but... 3 verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they, sew- and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Through rebellion, through going their own way, man entered into the exact relationship with God that God said he would. Except they expected to find out more of the good that they were missing. But the terrible side of the coin when they flipped it was all they learned was the bad that they had been sheltered from. See, when they ate the fruit, when they sinned against God, when they, en- when they went their own way, they entered the life of shame. Do we know shame in our lives? If, if you don't, it's that pit in your stomach that tells you something is horribly, horribly wrong with you. And if anybody were to ever find out, it would be the end. That's how shame gets activated in our own lives. Shame caused man to hide from his maker. Shame caused man to understand he was naked. See, the interesting part was fundamentally, in real time... Before eating the apple and after eating the apple, nothing changed. Man was naked before when they ate it. They were naked after when they ate it. But what changed? Physically, nothing changed in the people. It's not like they got more naked after eating the apple. It was the realization of the weakness, the brokenness, the emptiness. They now had something that could be found out. Because shame's main role in our life is to accuse us and to accuse us and to accuse us and to accuse us. It's the constant reminder that we're not okay. At the very core of who we are, shame tells us you are not okay. What you did was bad, but that's nothing compared to who you are at your core. 
And that's shame's job. And it causes us to do crazy out of control things to hide it, to run from it, to prevent it, to mask it, to numb it, to dull it. How much of your life is spent trying to deal with that pit in your stomach that it's not going very well inside of me? And we're not immune to this in the church. Shame has access to us here too. We bring it with us. What was really lost in the garden? They had to work the land. Childbirth became a horrible experience, I'm told. Although I had a back injury and whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I'm not that brave. <laughs> but uh, true paradise was walking in full intimacy with the Lord. And when the flaming cherubim with the big sword shut the doors, that was their biggest loss. I don't even think they knew it. Cain touches on it when he gets uh, rejected even more from creation. Esau touches on it when he loses his birthright. Losing my Awana bucks when I was 10 years old touched on it a little bit. Anybody have Awana bucks ever? You did? Okay. That's right. So, there are some good childhoods and some, you know, just existing childhoods. <laughs> and that's as much as I'm going to say about that. So, I don't know how we're feeling right now. Are we feeling grateful for the intimacy that we have? Are we feeling a little stuck that, oh man, Adam really blew it and... I guess I'm just all that intimacy that I don't have and all the shame that I'm feeling and all the guilt that's in me and the fact that I can't pull myself off the ground and I can't look God in the eye and I don't want Him to ever look me in the eye. Like, are we there? Because that's not nearly the end of the story. God always gets the final word. He's spoken loud and clear about this. Because our intimacy was redeemed by Jesus. God has such a strong desire for our reconciliation with Him. If you're a parent, you will know that the sweetest your child will ever be is after they've received a punishment. That's the sweetest that they'll ever be. When they've heard when they've accepted, when they've come up over or under it. And when you've made right, you have the sweetest of all intimacy with your child. It's beautiful. It's worth every bit of struggle to get there. And God is so committed to reconciling his people who are distant from him. And if it takes all sorts of blow-ups, he's so committed. Did it not cost God a great deal to bring us back to the garden? 
an insurmountable cost. And Jesus did it every step of the way. And we need to receive every aspect of Jesus' redemptive work in faith for ourselves to be walking in intimacy with God. Here's how Jesus did it. Firstly, he did it by becoming our shame. He bore that nastiness that's within you that you're just so afraid to let anybody know of. That thing. He bore our guilt that we, that we were deserving of. He bore our nakedness. He bore our rejection. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He looked at each one of our shames on the cross, as well as his own. He said, yeah, this is totally worth it. Totally worth it. He cried out on the cross in Matthew 27, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every bit that we feel forsaken and have felt forsaken by the, by the sin and the shame that's buried deep in our hearts, Christ bore that all for us. How much do we recognize that Jesus was naked on the cross? Half naked as he was brutally tortured in the streets. Like an execution is bad. A public execution, that's a, that's a totally different game. He was brutally executed for all to see, to be jeered at, yelled at, spit at, thrown at, completely exposed. The act of the cross itself, he's splayed out for all to see, naked on the cross. Now, that's a hard thing to think about. But how far did Jesus go down the rabbit hole to come and get us? How far down the shame rabbit hole did he have to go? Well, he, he didn't stop till he hit the bottom. It was a horrible thing. He fell on our shame grenade. The tree of death became our second tree of life at Calvary. He took our nakedness, our shame, so we wouldn't have to. He bought us back intimacy with the Father again. So he, he bore our shame and guilt, our nakedness. He gave us his intimacy with the Father as his own. The perfect unity that Jesus has always known, except for those moments on the cross where his Father had to look away. He says, why don't you come into that? Why don't you enjoy the intimacy I have with the Father? John 10, he says himself, I and the Father are one. In Jesus, we have the very mind of Christ with us. So we can know his will. We can know his presence. We can fully know his love. 
Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus gave us two commandments. He said, how do we make sure that we're good with God? Well, if you do these two things, you'll be fine. He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Can we do that? Being hopelessly adverse to intimacy. He's saying, all you have to worry about is being totally 100% open to God. If you can do that, and you can love other people through that, which we'll talk about next week, you're fine. If we're separated from God, if there are parts of ourselves we're not willing to give Him, that we don't trust Him in, we cannot fulfill that commandment. Because he's saying, God wants all of you. And he wants to give you all of himself. Thirdly, he restores the image and the likeness that was lost in the garden. We talked already about just the privilege to be image bearers of the one true God. Reflecting for everyone around us to see just beautiful aspects of who God is in our everyday life. Even in our fallen nature, we're, we're reflecting true things about who God is. But it was distorted. It was perverted in the garden. Sin weaved its way into there. And the image that we were, that we were so meant to carry became muddied. But Jesus comes, hand over hand, he reaches down into our graves, he opens the door, he pulls us out, and he very methodically starts dipping and redrawing our image, remaking the reflection of God himself. He's remaking us. That's our sanctification. But this is all fine and good. Through Jesus, the intimacy with God has been restored. But do we feel intimate with God? Or are we wondering, how in the world, if I'm not there, can I get there now? Because I really want to know that garden intimacy that I was made for. Well, I was advised a few years back when I asked, how do I start living more in the Spirit? And that person so wisely said, well, just start walking in the Spirit. That was, all they, that, was, that was all they said. That was the advice. And so, when you're really looking for a how-to, it can be a little bit like, that's great, that's... It's good advice. But that's the truth of the situation. Because God has told us, in no uncertain terms, we are His 
Jesus has paid the price for us. He has brought us into his family. God is our adopted father. We are his adopted sons. Jesus is our older brother. There's nothing that is going to separate us from him. But what do we do? Well, I have a few things for us to consider. This might seem a little bit like the advice, uh, just we'll start walking in the spirit, but we need to believe the truth that God has already told us. Fundamentally, if we don't believe that we're sons and daughters of God, if we don't believe that our intimacy has been restored, it's going to be very difficult to walk in it. But God is always talking to us through his word, through his songs, through his voice. He is always talking to us. And our time with him is so much more than prayer booklets and devotional plans and checking off boxes. It's so much more. In those moments, God has opened a portal for us to really sink into the truth of who he is, how he sees us. And the good desires he has for us. Every time we crack the Bible open. We play the song. We spend a few quiet moments in prayer. We have an opportunity for God to captivate. And convince our hearts in a new way. But we need to see that for what it is. This box thinking. and I'm a checking off the box type of thinker. That's like the persecution of the West, all right? Checking off boxes, so... But that's mine, for sure. Secondly, we need to practice his presence. Brother Lawrence, in the 17th century, was a monk. He wrote a book called Practicing His Presence. The whole concept of it is to acknowledge that God is with us intimately in real time all the time. If you are awake, if you are alive, you have an opportunity to commune with the living God right where you're at in anything you're doing. And he gives pages and pages of just being struck by the presence of God in any and every situation because he's constantly assuming God is with me. He wants to talk to me. He wants to touch me. He wants to come into this situation. It's not a church thing. It's not a Bible study thing where God can only talk to me when I'm in the safe confines of Calvary Chapel. It's an all the time. If you are awake and if you are listening, you will hear God talking to you. But we need to have that mindset. This is why fasting is so important. Every time our stomach goes a little wonky and our phone we don't get to look at and we don't get to watch this show or do that thing, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to remember, wait a second, God wants me to acknowledge His presence in my life right now. And that's why those reminders are so key. It keeps us mindful. We could pick up his voice at any point in time, but we need to be listening. And we need to be remembering and trusting he wants to talk to us. Thirdly, we want to choose to look closely. The important word here is choose. You're like, okay, I can choose, but I don't know what you're asking me to choose. To look closely and carefully at the private places in your character and your heart. Sounds good, right? Getting in there? Right in the nitty gritty of the heart? It's a good time, right? No? 
being aware of how we're doing, how our character is doing, how we're doing when nobody's around, inviting people into those situations is one of the best ways to seek intimacy with God. Because by nature, we still want to hide. We're ashamed of the things going on inside of us. And if you don't think you are, just look at your actions. But fighting against that, saying, this is going to hurt, this is going to suck, I'm going to feel really gross right now, but I just can't do these things alone. That's pushing back on the shame that wants to permeate even deeper in our hearts. For as close to that, it's sharing our shame. Our stories of how God has redeemed us, what He saved us from, are really, really important. Because I have high blood pressure, and they say that that's a silent killer. But, but actually, being in bondage with your shame is the real silent killer. You will die alone. That's my encouraging word for this Sunday. You will die alone, right? Shame wants to alienate you. It wants to capture you. It wants to imprison you. And it wants to condemn you until you fully condemn yourself. And we have to share our shame with people. We need to choose to share our shame with people. Theron Fleury, the famous hockey player, wrote a book called Playing With Fire, in which he talks in awkwardly high detail about the abuse he suffered at, it, at the hands of one of his coaches in junior hockey. He says at one place that he didn't sleep for 27 years. Like, that's pretty rough. Because he was abused in the dark. But this movement started with the book. As he said, it told his story. As he was open, this is what happened in my life. People would come to him and say two words. They'd look him in the eye and they'd say, me too. And that was it. And that happened 500,000 times. I don't know how he counted that, but that's crazy. People need to hear our struggles because we don't want to die alone in our shame. We don't have to. Last, we want to remember where we came from. I'll just say it this way. Warren Buffett, who's super rich, like super rich, like since the year 2000, he gave away $46 billion. Like, you know how rich you are by how much you can give away and not be on the street. Like, $46 billion, and I believe his idea is to die penniless. And what propels him, what propels him is the knowledge of how blessed he is in his situation. He says this, if you are the luckiest 1% of humanity, you owe it to the rest of humanity to think about the other 99%. And that's just money. Like it's 46 billion units of money, but it's just money. Are we viewing ourselves in the same riches as Warren Buffett with the intimacy that is completely available to each one of us, whether we feel it or not? 
Corinthians says, take every thought captive. I would urge you to take every feeling captive because you'll hardly ever feel like you're walking intimately with God because your feelings hate you most of the time. That's maybe a little strong, but they're not very trustworthy. And they need, they need to be held loosely. Our feelings tell us something's wrong, but it doesn't necessarily tell us where the right place to look is. We need to remember the people that have no idea about how intimate God is. The idea that we've been made for Him. The idea that His deepest desire is to connect with you in the deepest parts of yourself. And that's hard and it sounds impossible. And without Jesus it would be. So I have a prayer that we can pray. If the worship team would start making their way up. If we could get that prayer up there guys that would be good. So I want to invite us just to respond with prayer. Why don't we all stand together. If the Lord is pressing anything about how you and him interact in an intimate way or the lack thereof, I would invite you as you have faith to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your finished and complete work on the cross. I thank you for taking my guilt, my shame, and my nakedness so I could enjoy wholeness and intimacy through your sacrifice. In your name, Jesus, I renounce any shame, condemnation, and secrecy that I have allowed to live in my heart. I ask you to take it from me and bring me into intimacy with the Father that you have paid such a high price for. I take hold in faith the intimacy that you have with the Father as my own. And I ask you to help me walk in it in a fuller way today. I also pray on behalf of the lost people in my life that are still totally distant and lost from you. Help me to give them over to you in prayer and live a life that makes you look glorious. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.